Welcome to the Born Unbreakable Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Des, mindset motivator and lifestyle entrepreneur. From lost trauma, disappointments, and devastation to healing hope and betterment, what has grounded me is my unbreakable spirit. We all have that spirit within us. Every week, I'm here to inspire you with stories of perseverance and growth. My mission is to help you crush self-limiting beliefs and to be unapologetically you. You are your only limit, so take action today. Let your unbreakable ride begin now. This episode is brought to you by Brossery. More than just bra straps, the accessory I love. With styles from dainty to daring, you will too. Click the link in the description or go to brossery.com and use promo code BUSHIP to get free shipping on your order today. We're live and we're back on the Born and Breakable podcast. And I am so stoked today because we have a special guest who's my friend that I'm hoping I can see in person one day when I get to travel either to Montreal, Canada, or he comes over here to the States. But today I have Brendan Karasami, who is a public speaking coach. He's the founder of a master your talk and or master talk, sorry. And he has a YouTube channel that you have to follow along with the almost 11,000 followers who are already subscribed, who get amazing information about how to be a better public speaker. He helps people to do the one thing that I think many people have struggles with, which is to communicate better. And he also happens to be a badass on Clubhouse. Like, I got to join, Brendan, when you reached 10,000 followers on Clubhouse and it was this big thing and everybody changed their profile picture to your face and now you've got like 20,000 followers on Clubhouse so people are hearing you do public speaking and a whole other slew of things in that setting so I'm just really fortunate to get a little sliverine of your time today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> You're hilarious, Des. It's a pleasure to be here. And you can have me for as long as you need to. <laughs> well, you know, so uh, communication. It's one of these things that, and and you know from being in many different settings, we've been uh, together commiserating in different ways in the corporate space, which I just learned that you left the corporate world. So congratulations. Good for you on that. But you've also just been around so many different entrepreneurs. We both have. And it is never unyielding that communication continues to come up as one of the number one things that people work on. And so... Also, congratulations, because you'll be needed forever. People are always going to need help in this area. But I really just wanted to start off with a, a simple or maybe a simple question, which is, how did you get into the world of public speaking and wanting to help other people actually improve their public speaking skills? Absolutely, Des, and I appreciate the introduction. It's very kind of you. So yeah, absolutely. So when I was in university... I used to do these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while other guys my age were playing rugby or football or basketball, some other dangerous thing that I'd never get near, I had the same competitive spirit, but I applied it to presentations. So for three to four years, I know this sounds hard to believe, but I presented four to 500 times coached dozens of people on their communication skills so they could all compete internationally at these presentations. And that's what I did for three to four years. So basically a business would sponsor these things. We would present a business case and whoever was the best presenter and whoever gave the best solution would ultimately win the competition. And I was a maniac for case competitions. The main reason I did them wasn't really to like be a YouTuber or to be an influencer. I'm definitely not one of those types it was to get the job that you have now, right? I, I wanted to be a consultant as well. And I was fortunate to get a job in consulting post-graduation. That's what most of my friends do. Most of my friends work on Wall Street. They're investment bankers. They're consultants. They're not, uh, they're not uh, some bloggers or something. But what happened 
is after I graduated from university and I started working in the corporate world, I realized that a lot of the stuff I was teaching people that I was making up on the fly pretty much wasn't available for free. Like if you look up communication tips right now on YouTube, there's not really that good information. You hear advice like, oh, like be yourself or something. I was like, this is nonsense. So I started making videos in my mom's basement. And then, you know, a couple of years later, it turned into what it is today. I freaking love it. <laughs> that is so awesome. I just, you know, so you're basically, are you, can you do PowerPoint in your sleep? Like for some reason, when I think of presentations, that is just the first thing that comes into my mind is animations and fancy PowerPoint presentations. I'm I'm definitely a freak for, for PowerPoints. I know the shortcuts and all that stuff. So yeah, it's, it was a bizarre environment of people that whose only aim was to win these competitions instead of like play football like everyone else. And, the, mm-hmm. and, that, and I was, I guess, the, the dictator of that movement. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is, a, this is a, a movement that I feel like people need to know about. It's something that could be this hidden gem. So these competitions, what happens when you win? What reward do you get on the other side of that? Right. So, so it's mostly bragging rights. There's no $100,000 cash prize, unfortunately. But there is a huge benefit as to why we all do it besides ego, which is a big piece since we're all young, right? The other piece is we get automatic job offers. So most people that I knew from case competitions, it wasn't a matter of finding a job post-grad. It was more about what job do I pick because all these companies are running after me. So most people in these programs, what happens is in their 20s, they get model they get groomed up to be early executives in their 30s and then they go and coach the next generation of case compers as we call them so basically what happens is like think of it like this you're like 21 years old you're presenting in front of the senior vice president of walmart canada or the walmart in the u.s and you're presenting better than he is or she is so they're looking at you like i want this person in my company so they come up you, they groom you up, they go, oh, you know, you'd be such a great fit for this company. So that that's the ultimate prize. And and IBM was, was one of those case sponsors, and that's how I got a job there. Wow. Note to self, if you want to be able to get any job you want, you enter these case competitions. Exactly. And, you know, the funniest thing was, Des, I had an unhealthy obsession with them. So think of me like the Michael Jordan of presentations, except nobody gives a shit about presentation. <laughs> so I'm like the Michael Jordan that nobody really gives a shit about. I think that's the- They're like, hmm. I mean, can you actually, could you watch that? If you if you look that up to see case presentations, can is that something you could watch like you could a basketball game? Absolutely. But let me take it to a, another level. So going back to the analogy I used in the, in the beginning, while other guys are watching like sports games at a bar and they're yelling or something, me and my yeah. friends would like sit in a quiet room with like pizza and watch the University of New South Wales in Australia give their finals presentation at like a competition and we'd just be criticizing that for 40 minutes. And then Georgetown University would give another presentation and we'd criticize them. We're like, oh, we're not going to do that. That's what we did for fun. Wow. So it's kind of like how there's people who are gamers. And you can even watch people do gaming because I didn't know that was a thing until I saw people do, do that. You could do that with this. You could watch people do presentations and get super nerded out and into it. Correct. It's just the big difference is that the this community <clears throat> is way, way more niche. Like way yeah. More. Oh, this is, yeah, yeah. I have a lot to learn. I feel like you've just opened a door that I'm just, you know, putting my toe into and you have been in it for years. And I'm just, you know, this student that is going to learn so much from you. But, but it obviously has its benefits because if, you know, all, all jokes aside, I mean, I do think that it, it the companies, like you mentioned, your IBM or any of the, the big companies that we see today, if you wanted to go and work for Mark Zuckerberg or work at Google or work for whomever, they're, they're probably not going to hire you if you lack communication skills in a way that's 
fairly effective and persuasive and negotiation skills and everything else. I feel like it's the it's it's funny because it's the thing that people look for, right? When you get hired. Um, or just people, anybody who wants to work with somebody that's not an effective communicator. And then it's also a competency that you get graded on, right? So in performance reviews, it's how good are, is there? And it comes in multiple forms. I think about it in the corporate space too. It's like communication skills, just a very general category, but so many other competencies are linked to that skill. So when someone says executive presence, what are they really saying? It's how you show up and communicate in an executive environment, right? So it's just another way of saying, are you a shitty communicator <laughs> or not, right? But in, in a particular place where more persuasion or effectiveness is required. Um, and then same thing. When you think about sales, negotiation, you know, arguably there's threads of communication that are are required in all of those those kinds of things. And so I, I have an interesting question for you. And I, I don't know that I even personally have a strong opinion about it, but with all of the modalities of communication that we have, I would say is a big uptick today. Social media, I mean, Clubhouse came out and now, you know, People are using that as another platform on top of your Instagram, your Facebook, your LinkedIn, your whatever else I don't know about, the snapping and the chatting and the, all the things. You know, has that in your assessment helped or hindered people's ability to communicate more effectively? That's an interesting question. And you're right. It is a tricky one because there's no, there's no black and white here. So I think what I would say is social media is a tool. And if you know how to use it properly, it's going to be beneficial. But much like a screwdriver, if you use it on the wrong screw or use it for a purpose that it's not for, then you're not going to see the benefit. So social media is the same thing. Social media is positive if you focus on the positive aspects for what it is, which means creating offline relationships. It's much easier to find your tribe today than it was 20 years ago. Think about how we met. We pretty much met because of social media. Right? Mm -hmm. But because we entered a, we but because we went to an offline event that was curated for that specific community, the hit rate is much higher. Where everyone you meet is suddenly becomes your best friend. You're just like, whoa, this is a weird place to be. Whoa, right? But there's also the negative piece. If you focus on the negativity, you write hate comments. That's all you watch. You watch the news, right? All that stuff. Right, that, that it's not helping you. If you're on Instagram, you're comparing yourself to Kim Kardashian. It's probably not helping your case. But if you're focused on positive influencers, positive thought leaders, and you're really focusing your time on those individuals, then you can use it as a vehicle for change. So that's what I've always seen social media as a tool. And then how we use it is totally up to us. And then from a communication lens, definitely it's much harder for people to communicate today than it used to be. Because now you have that social media barrier. But I'd also argue that it's easier if you can find your tribe faster because it's more easier for you to have conversations with those people than just random people on the street. Yeah, that's a really good point. It is, is one of those things where I feel like it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Like you said, there's just, it's more variety. There's a smorgasbord of ways to, to engage with people. But I also feel like there are, all of a sudden has become this shortened attention span where you have to captivate people in 30 seconds, you know, sometimes 15 seconds, because that is how quickly at a clip people are going through to see, you know, am I interested in this, not interested in this? Is this going to do anything for me? Uh, when, when I think about how much time I try to, to spend on there to get some some level of information, like you said, that is going to feed me in a positive way um, and tune out anything that is other than, you know, influential, inspirational um, that I can use for good. So it's, a, it's an interesting thing that I've thought about. Uh, and for, you know, I look at the generations like my, my nieces, they're... 12 and 14. And I, I question sometimes, I'm like, is this pandemic helpful? Communication is, 
mostly through technology? Is there going to be a deterioration when people get in person and all of a sudden you, you don't know how to, you know, connect or engage face to face? And thankfully, I, I don't think it's as bad as maybe I, I thought that it could be. But those are the kinds of things that sort of run through my head like, oh, are we going to deteriorate, you know, with, with uh, too much stimulation from technology and not being able to just take a purposeful pause and have an engaging conversation without all of these distractions. You know, like today, I'm like, I turned off my devices completely off so I know I can be engaged in this conversation with you and not be disrupted, you know, to have an effective conversation. So those are those are just random kinds of observations that I'm making and I... Still feel like I'm assessing, you know, in today's society. No, um, <clears throat> what would you say are some of the top challenges that people come to you with when they're like, Brendan, SOS, I need help. What is it that they need help with when they come to you for communication assistance? Right. So so this is where things get interesting, Des, because <laughs> what people ask for is not what they actually need. Right? So they would say something like, oh, Brent, I need to be more confident in my presentations. Brent, I'm really scared of communication. How do I overcome it? I don't really know how to prepare for a speech. But what they need, which is the core issue, is to understand communication from the beginning of the journey. I'll give you a super easy example. So think about the fear of communication, which is probably the biggest one I get, right? Brendan, I'm scared of communicating. How do I show up on stage? How do I do all that stuff? Yeah, right? Like, I don't want to public speaking, people staring at me, biggest nightmare. I'm going to lose my shit and not remember anything that I wanted to say. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And, and my reply is always, that's perfectly normal. You're supposed to be scared. And they always go, why am I supposed to be scared? I said, the reason is simple. We're all conditioned to be scared of communication. Here, I'll explain why. So let's say you think about all the presentations you've given in your life. So I'm say the ages of zero to like 25. Okay. So from zero to 25, most of the presentations you've given, Des, were in? In school. In school, right? And then, yeah, and then in, in work setting. And then in work, right? So 100%, not 98 not 89. Like I'm talking about 100% of all those presentations are mandatory. We don't wake up one morning and say, hey, Des, you want to get breakfast today and present all day? Is that do you want to do a case competition? Because that's kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> so me and you <laughs> would probably be one of maybe seven people in North America who would be down for that. And everyone else would be like, no, that's, that's not normal. Right? So every presentation we give <laughs> is mandatory that's one mm. two you never get to pick the topic it's never hey des welcome to class what are you excited about today i see you got this podcast you love fashion you look so why don't we do a presentation on that no it's it sounds something more like this so des first of all sit down the class is about to start in three minutes and you have to talk about shakespeare and you're like shake like milkshake yeah, and, I don't know, and then, not so much. And then the teacher's like, and then you have to do a presentation on the Renaissance. And they're just like, re, re, re. And that just doesn't work. And that's true for all of us, including me. So we never get to pick the topic. That's problem number two. And then problem number three is we never really get to practice because we have eight presentations in the same semester. So you're not really thinking about, oh, how do I make this presentation the best? How do I sound like Tony Robbins? This thing? Like, no. It's, yeah, you got to give this presentation and then I got to survive so I can go to the next one and the next one and the next one. On and on and on again. We're taught to believe that public speaking through a series of hundreds of presentations throughout our life is a chore. It's like doing the dishes. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh, yeah. you're right. Exactly. I was in I was in this uh now you're totally taking me back now. I, I wasn't even thinking I was going to talk about this, but now I'm taking back to high school. I was in this um competition government class 
called We the People. And we would go against other high schools based on our knowledge of the Constitution. So arguably, we sort of knew what the topic was going to be, but you, you know, you just got conditioned to study that kind of thing, but you didn't know what was going to come up or what questions it was going to be. And it's, you know, in some ways, maybe things like that, like the debate team or maybe helps you think on your toes a little bit of how to communicate or back to something that you said earlier, have confidence. But yeah, you're right. I just think about all these things that you're asked to do, especially as you, um, and a lot of it too, I think the fear comes from having to prove yourself because presentations often are associated with getting to the next level of, okay, you do this because this is part of your your junior year and you need to pass it before you get to your senior year. And then when you get to your senior year, then you have to do this and then, oh, by the way, college is just the big old thing and then it just continues itself on in, in the rest of your life. So it, it, is, it is very much of a chore. Never thought about it like that until you framed it that way. Whew. No wonder it's so exhausting. <laughs> right. And then it gets worse in, in the company, right? Because then you're working and now not only is it you're graded, but if you mess up, you get fired <laughs> or you don't get promoted <laughs> and you're stressed out of your mind. And sometimes you come into work and like, Des, I need this by tomorrow. And you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, you know, the, I think the thing too, and I, you could probably appreciate this since you're a PowerPoint master, is that a lot of times, and I've, I, I, I have been in this position I can't even tell you <laughs> a countless number of times is all the effort that you put into making the presentation this shiny object with words and animations and pop-ups and these things that nobody actually gives a crap about. They're not even looking at it. They probably didn't even look at it before the meeting, may not even reference it after the meeting, but it's just a part of the process that took agonizing hours to do. <laughs> and then, you know, but it's what you're saying that is getting paid attention to. So it's it seems that it's more that part of it than what's actually on the page. Um, at least that's what it feels like in all the settings that I've been in absolutely you got it like pretty much right every time you go into a boardroom every time you go into school your audience isn't cheering you on they're not going yeah Daz, keep it up that was an amazing presentation they go they're like what's is it is it time for desiree to present <laughs> <laughs> it's over it's over you missed the whole thing Right, and then we're we're both sitting down at the boardroom. But then the next person comes up, and then we're just like, "Oh, I got like a ten meetings today. I'm time to listen to this." So yeah, it's it's not the best learning environment. Which brings me to the remedy, which is a question nobody in my industry has asked. I can't believe I'm the first one who thought of this. It's like so weird. But the question is, how would the world change if you were an exceptional communicator? All of the languaging that we use in communication is negative. Anxiety, fear, death. <laughs> People gonna die apparently. Whereas yeah. me, they gonna die. Yeah, they gonna yeah. die. Whereas like me, it's like dream a little. Like communication is not just about being in a boardroom or being at school and being nervous. It's everything that you do. It's the way that you interact with people. It's the way that you tell your loved ones that you love them. It's the way that you talk to your family. It's the way that you meet strangers and then you realize that you have so much in common and then you get excited by it. That's what communication is supposed to be for. Except when most of us think of public speaking, we think of dying, which I think is such a loss. <laughs> I know. But it's like Maya Angelou said, right? Something to the effect of it's not what you say, it's how you make people feel. And so I'm always thinking about that. So... When you say Tony Robbins, and oh man, and I'm all bummed out because you and I actually were supposed to go together to unleash the power within in March 2020, and then the whole world, you know, collapsed. And so then we had to, you know, do alternative methods and do the virtual version or whatever it was. But um, 
Tony Robbins is this, like you said, captivating communicator. And it really, it really is the, all the feels, right, that you get. The feels of what he says and then the tears and the, the quotes and the, you go back to your notes and you are trying to repeat things that he said to your friends and, oh my gosh, this magnificent stuff. But so, you know, what do you tell someone when they're like, I want to be Tony Robbins, Brendan? Like, how do I do that? How do I become that level of communicator? Absolutely. So, so the first part is we're not done yet because like Tony's doing a live event in November in Florida. So I mean, you got to go to that. So that's one. Piece. Yes. And and the other piece of that is, okay, how do you be like Tony? I would say there's, there's a lot. We can have a three day discussion about this, but I would say the summary for most people is don't compare yourself to Tony or rather understand that it's not possible to be Tony overnight. Cause Tony, for those who don't really know this, has been doing the same presentation, the same one, for 35 years. The same thing over and over and over and over again for 35 years. Right? So the first step to being like Tony is to specialize in one topic, which is not what the school system teaches you to do. They pretty much teach you to just jump on all these different presentations, and then you dump the presentation, move on to the next one, you dump it, move on to the next one. Instead of just focusing on one presentation, just making it world-class, which is what I did with communication, what Tony did with mindset, et cetera, right? what Gary Vee did with hustle and entrepreneurship. So for you who's listening, ask yourself, out of the five things you can teach the world, what is the one thing that stands out on its own that you get asked the most about? So out of like, let's say three or five topics that you could teach, there's usually one that most people come to you for. And that's important. Even if there's three people who come to you for it, because they are making an intentional choice to pick you over the 79 other people in their friend group. So that gives you a hint. And for me, 90% of those questions were about communication. Hey, Brendan, how do I do this? Hey, Brendan, how do I think about I was like, oh, why don't I like start coaching people? Oh, why don't I start like a YouTube channel on this? Because to help like seven people. And then, you know, seven people turned into what it is today. Yeah. So let the, let the people tell you, what are people asking you? That's genius. That's like a, I, sometimes we overcomplicate things to simplify it. I love that. What is the thing that people ask you the most about? And go be freaking awesome at that one thing. Did you write that down? Are you listening? Do you, you need to like rewind it, replay that. And then circle it and highlight it and then put a star. And if that's the only thing you get out of this podcast episode, you're already winning. Boom. I love it. I love that. Um, so what are, what are some other tips that you would say? What are just some basic other things that you might say to somebody who just gen genuinely wants to, to maybe, maybe there's a couple of things, you know, and you, you could correct me if there's other things that people come to you. Maybe they're just um, the confidence thing I feel like it does come up, you know, for folks where maybe they just stumble or stutter or can't get the words out because they just don't feel that sense of presence of themselves. So there's maybe a little bit of a belief thing going on within them. Um, and, and just thinking of maybe the task that I, that often I see people get asked is to communicate a whole lot, but in a little bit of time. So when you're given, hey, I want you to talk about this thing and be impactful and get these people to make a decision, but you've 10 minutes. And it might even get cut off because if this person runs over, like you can maybe only have seven minutes. Could you do that and be super, super, super duper effective? Like, you know, what are, what are some things that people can do, especially if in some ways they have to improvise and they have to be a little bit nimble in their ability to convey something impactful and not a whole lot of time. Absolutely does. I think what I would say is, let me give you two other easy ones that people can implement. I have an answer to the question, but that's that's probably more complicated for your audience. So I would say that the, the next piece that I think is super easy 
is how do you think about practicing your speech? Because to your point, a lot of us struggle with the confidence piece. Because whenever we're practicing, we're practicing these 20 minute presentations and we're like, this is not going well. So let me suggest an alternative approach. Public speaking or practicing public speaking, in my opinion, is like building a jigsaw puzzle. You know those little puzzles you used to do as a kid? Some of us still mm-hmm. do them today. I like them. There you go. So you're the perfect person to ask this question to. Which pieces do you start with first and why? The corners. Because you could see the shape. It's more readily that it stands out. And then you can kind of build your pieces from there. So it's a good starting point. So you get those corner blocks. And then you build into it. Absolutely. Literally the perfect answer. So question, that's more rhetorical, is why don't we do that in public speaking? Most of us do the opposite in public speaking. We shove a bunch of content. We get to the presentation. We ramble through the entire thing. And then the last five seconds, we go, oh, yeah, so, uh, 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 yeah, thanks. And then the presentation ends. And that's the presentation. So how do you fix this? Start practicing public speaking like a jigsaw puzzle. Do the edges first. Practice your introduction 50 times. Not five times, not three times. Just practice your intro 50 times. So then when you've done it, it's not that it's not that hard. 50 is a big number, but an intro is like a minute or two, right? So this is going to take you an hour of practice, two hours max. You look at your intro after two hours, you're like, wow, this introduction is really good. Same thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie. Same, <laughs> same thing. 50 times the conclusion, not five times, do it 50 times. Once again, big number, doesn't take a long time. It'll take you like an hour. In two or three hours of practice, you will build momentum in your communication skills that you've never seen in your life before. Because you'll go, wow, my introduction's so good. My conclusion was so good. Now I have the confidence to like tackle this presentation. And that is when the confidence barrier gets shattered. <coughs> Wow. It's like a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> you just gotta get it. So right? random. I love it. <laughs> you gotta get the you gotta get the sandwich ends right. You know, and then and then fill in the middle. And and I almost think that um too, to some degree, if you've studied any aspect of your content, the impro- improvisation is a little bit easier to do in the meat, right, of all the details that happen in between. But it's people usually remember, like you said, what things like the beginning and the end, right? So that's ah, that's awesome. My gosh, it's brilliant, Brendan. Thank you. You're so kind. I like, also got one more if you want. Ooh, yes, this I want it. So, so basically, for everyone who's listening, if you just implement the three things, you know, the first one with the one topic, <coughs> the second piece with, you know, how you structured the pitch, and the third one that I'm about to say, that will get you 80% of the result. If you just apply, just find a buddy, do all this stuff with, you'll, you'll double your communication skills. So the third thing is called the random word exercise. So all you do, pretty simple, and I'm happy to demonstrate if you want, is basically you pick a random word, couch, basement wife, tree, and you just make a presentation out of thin air. Five words, one minute each, five minutes a day. If you do that exercise for a year, you'll have done it almost 2,000 times. But the benefit of that is most of us are scared of presentations that we have an expertise in. So now the next time when you go into those presentations, you say, well, I talked about avocados for a minute. I talked about tissue papers for a minute. Who cares about this presentation? That I already know something about. Those presentations that you once feared will suddenly become a joke. Whoa. That's so cool. Random word. Just wake up and whatever comes to your mind. That's it. That's legit. So, so I'm like, what people say. <laughs> <laughs> you're, dro- you're dropping all the knowledge right now, Brendan. Boom, boom. So, you know, have you been asked something related to communication and public speaking that you've struggled to give advice for? That's a good question. Hmm. 
I'm not really good on communication in romantic relationships because I've never been in one. And I've been asked that a lot. It's not easy that I struggle with because I, I don't have the hands-on experience, but real, people really push me for advice there. Like, how yeah. do you communicate better? I'm really good with, like, friendships, like people yeah. around you. Romantic relationships, I struggle to give advice on. That's something yeah, I haven't People correct. are like, how do I communicate with this person that I like? How do I do that? <laughs> people yeah. come and ask you that. I'm not, I'm not good at that stuff. There's a lot of great people who are, though. Matthew Hussey, I'm a big fan of. Oh, huge. Yeah, John Gottman is really good after a relationship has matured, things like that. So I, I just yeah. take, so whenever people ask me that, I kind of cop out. And I go, well, Matthew Hussey said this, John Gottman, but I don't have my yeah. own thought leader. Dr. Gottman, yeah. Esther Perel. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't go Brendan Kumar Summer or else I get in trouble. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's a part. But that's a fascinating question because, you know, the way that I've built my channel, and that's advice for many of you who are listening, is the, the audience obsessiveness piece. How much are you listening to your audience? So every mm -hmm. video that I have there or everything I say comes from a question that somebody asked me. But because I've been on a lot of these shows, I mm -hmm. eventually I get asked everything. But there's always a new set of questions that like even that one I've never been asked. I was like, oh, I've got to ponder that one. So yeah, it's yeah. fun. Yeah. So what what have you learned in the communication format of Clubhouse that's different? So there's, you know, it's interesting because we've got a lot of video opportunity because you can go live on different things like even Instagram, Facebook, we can do Zoom. And Clubhouse is all audio, right? So it doesn't it's a, it's a different platform. You have a really big following what has that brought you in terms of communication and what have you learned from using that platform? Right. That's a great question. I, to be honest, and I'll, I'm always transparent about things, in this moment of time, I do not recommend anyone use Clubhouse because a lot of the traction has left. It's not worth it like it used to be because you have to mm -hmm. trade your time to be on the app. It was just really worth it for me at the time because I was really early. I got on when there was only 500,000 users I picked up like, you know, I, I spent like a ridiculous amount of time. Yeah, We're talking like 10, 12. I feel like your name popped up all day, like on my thing. I'm like, Brendan is on. I probably need to listen to him, you but I have to really go don't. to this meeting and, you know. <laughs> You're so good. You're so good at complimenting together. So I love it. But yeah, absolutely. No, I, I actually highly recommend you don't listen to me. I was spending like 10, 12, 14 hours a day on Clubhouse. Like it was not healthy. Oh so like, I would literally be in a corporate meeting and go, okay. And then the, the call would drop. Boom. <laughs> I'd be back on Clubhouse. And then me and my buddy Billy would just keep going. But anyways, the point is Clubhouse did teach me a lot, Kim. The, I would say Clubhouse, especially at the beginning, was the best place for the world's best kept secrets. Because on Clubhouse, what's super fascinating that I loved so much, especially at the top, like in the early days, is it didn't matter who you were. It only mattered what you said and what value you added. You could say Harvard MBA in that bio. Nobody gives a crap. If whatever comes out of your mouth isn't good, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Right. So that played a lot to my advantage because I had a lot of knowledge on communication for my age. I, I started coaching people when I was maybe 21 or something. But people wouldn't take me seriously before. Like, who's this kid? Like, this guy's got to teach me how to speak. I'm an executive. I've worked longer at this business than he's been a lot, right? So I would get a lot of that. I don't get that as much anymore than the beginning. But Clubhouse is great because I could just go there, drop gems, and people go like, oh, I need to hire this person or I need to yeah. talk to this or check out the YouTube. So, But anyways, to the lessons, I would say the first piece is definitely the equalizer it was an equalizer of ideas, right? Where only the best mm -hmm. ideas win. I still think that's true today, to be honest, but it's just harder to grow a following than it used to be. It's harder to make a name for yourself. That's one. Second lesson I learned is how to communicate in a very specific format with impact. So what's interesting about Clubhouse is you don't have a lot of time to speak. So whenever you have to speak, you have to make sure it's gold every single time or else you can't build a following. So what I used to do, and this is a tip for those of you who are still ambitious about social audio, is when people would come up to me like five minutes before, I would write down my answer in a Word doc, literally. So when people go up to me, I, I would literally go, there are three things I've learned from this experience. One, two, three. And they'd be like, wow, this guy's like... But I, I was totally, totally reading off a Word document. It just sounded like it didn't because I'm practiced. Third thing, 
was moderation. Moderation is a very tricky thing. And I honestly really nerded out over it. I really enjoyed figuring it out. Because you can't like interrupt people and you have to find a system where it flows well and you have to think about the listener. That's probably one of the hardest things I've done from a communication perspective. So I'm not going to lie when I say I had, I had a lot of joy figuring out that puzzle. <laughs> and at a, especially early when nobody figured out the puzzle. So those are, those are the three lessons I learned. So yes, there is there is benefit from a communication perspective to be on the app and moderate rooms, but I would not recommend it for beginners. Only people who do the puzzle, only people who do the one topic, the random word, those are way more important priorities. This is more for the geeks like me who want to be like like higher than they are right now. That That's what yeah. it's for. Yeah, there's different levels of nerding out that you want to get into and depending on what that level is will determine where you fall in the clubhouse land. Absolutely. Got it. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah. I you know and I I I just appreciate how practical you're breaking down things that sometimes we overcomplicate, right? I mean, I've been in consulting for 16 years this year and it's still the, you know, putting together presentations and things like that is some of the most anxiety provoking, <laughs> you know, things that there is. And, and, and so, uh, you know, hopefully for those of you who are listening, thinking about how do you effectively communicate some of these very simple things are things that you can remember and take away with you. So <clears throat> I want to shift into getting to know you a little bit more because one of the premises of the show uh, with Born Unbreakable is being unapologetically who you are. And I think that exploring who we are and being on that journey is a constant evolution and something that we can all appreciate and learn from one another. So I have to start out with an, maybe an easy question, which is what are three words that best describe you? I would say one is impactful. I want to make sure that any decision I make, any word that comes out of my mouth, for the most part, not perfect, but I would say the big one is definitely impactful. That would probably be the first one. Mm -hmm. The second one would probably be insanity. I'm definitely pretty insane. A lot of the choices I've made are very bizarre. And I'm literally sitting on a mattress as I'm speaking to you. I love Justin Bieber. I do a lot of weird things. And I think that's that's an important piece of who I am. Because I feel the people who are the most insane are often not just the ones who are the most successful, but also the most happy. So I'd say the first one's impactful. The second one is insanity. And the third one is probably, hmm, probably curiosity. Just because I'm just I'm just very curious. You know, when I think about someone like Tony or anyone else, I don't just like listen to it surface level. I go, okay, what are the mistakes this guy made in his life? What are some of the challenges that he wouldn't talk about? Because whenever someone's saying something, they're also avoiding other things. Whenever they speak on a topic, and I'm, I'm not just saying Tony specifically, this is in general with anybody, mm -hmm. even when I'm talking to you. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but, uh, but I know. It's like, what isn't she saying? Right? <laughs> Why isn't she I'm asking me about that? This. You're like such an awesome cheerleader. Like you're like the best supporter. What What about you? What are the three words that describe you? I'm so curious. Oh, man. I feel, you know, after you said insanity, which is the first time anybody has ever said that, I'm like, oh, I need a, I need a up level because that that's really unique. But I de the first thing that definitely comes to mind for myself is compassionate. It's It's one of those things where every time I take a personality test, there's some level of that empathy, compassion, you know, it's just the core of who I am. I just want to, I want to hug everyone and help and heal and give them hope. <laughs> so I, that's, that's like the first thing. Um, I would say the second thing, and maybe this is a bit promulgated from the pandemic. So I don't know if I necessarily would have said this previously, but adventure possibly because it's something that I crave more when you're pushed into isolation and 
solitude, <laughs> you kind of create your own adventure, right? In in different ways, whether that's with other people, whether that's just how you're going to seek adventure in your day. So I would say adventure. So compassion, adventure, and I would say um, persistence. Just having a persistent um, drive to to do this to do the stuff that I want to do, get it done, make a difference. <laughs> Make people cry, touch their hearts. <sighs> okay, now you got me all up in the feels, Brendan. Don't sorry. do that. Sorry, I'm curious. My gosh, my gosh! There's your curiosity. <laughs> you're just you're playing. You're playing into it right now. Sorry. Okay. I needed to know. My, it was a good question. I mean, man, you put me on a spot. I was like, wait, who's interviewing who here? Sheesh! <laughs> my gosh. You have to oh, edit out my laughs. Red. That's the best part. So people, that's why people will be entertained. Um, okay, my next question for you is, what is something that you are working on improving? Hmm. There's like a bunch of things I could say, but I want to give a big one so, so, I, so I can be more vulnerable. Mm. Let me see. Mm, this is a toughy one. Like an easy way out of the question is saying, oh yeah, you know, I'm working on LinkedIn. I really want to get better on LinkedIn. But in terms of like personality-wise, I would say I would say for me a big improvement now is getting used to the um getting used to the entrepreneurship life. Cause I because I've been a corporate gun my whole life. And that's what I've trained myself to do from like the you age did of like 18. Case competitions. You can get the corporate job. Yeah. I that's that's another piece too is is how do i get used to the new like you know income isn't guaranteed like my business is doing well but i'm more in the sense of like you know it's that serendipity that that unknown i have to learn to embrace that more i find that's probably a point of improvement is getting used to the to the new schedule and i would say the last piece of improvement that i'm always thinking through is how do i change identities fast enough or faster than i am right now so what i mean by that is, you know, an important part of, of growing that most people don't really talk about because it's fairly dark that I, I'm a big believer in is for you to get to the next part of who you're supposed to be. You also need to destroy the part that was there before to a certain extent. So what I mean by that is your whole life, like literally my whole life, I believed that corporate was my way out of poverty. And it was. I literally went with no money. My mom was making minimum wage to, you know, I was making very good money in consulting. And I retired my mom. So I was like, this is it. But now, that's my belief system. That corporate is the only way out. So for me to then transition and quit the job, I've not only it's not just a simple matter. And I, I think that's why people struggle to you know, install new habits. They struggle to implement new ideas. It's not only just a matter of implementing that glass of water every day. I think that's the easy way out. But the real discussion is the people around you who, were, who are a part of your group because you believe that thing. So they go like, why are you leaving your corporate job? That's what we worked so hard for. So you have to kill that identity. So I need to get better at doing it faster. I, I'm doing well, but I need to go faster so I can get to the person I need to be. Damn, Brendan. That is some elevated shizzle right there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to add as much value for for Des. That's I, I know. That's it. Whoa, <laughs> you know, and and uh, well, it's interesting. So I had interviewed Luke Mindpower recently, and uh, he talked about he said it in this way, and I, I was pretty captivated by it. And he was talking about how there's a devil at every level, and I was like, Whoa, talk to me about snap. that. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, because and I think it's true. And I think it is is tied to the point that you're making where I personally believe that we are constantly evolving. We shouldn't be the same person that we were, you know, when I met you a couple years ago, or years before that, or maybe even a month ago. I mean, that's why even when you ask me, what are the three words? I don't know if it'll be the same three words, you know, later, because part of our growth is that learning but the devil in every level is that resistance 
that occurs because you're attached. You become attached to the identity that you have, and it's hard to break through. Um, you know, into it's like that that caterpillar. Every time you know you shed that old skin and you want to go and to be a butterfly and to to fly to your next thing, it's it's hard to do that, right? We get attached to old stories, or as a matter of fact, accolades or successes. Because we associate, oh, well, when I was living into that identity, I was recognized. I got this this award or, you know, people praised me for these things. So why wouldn't I want to continue to do that, right? It's like it's easy to get attached to, you know, you talk. It's like the person that talks about something like, oh, well, I was such and such. And it's like, oh, really? Yeah, like 20 years ago. <laughs> Because it's it's something that you you know you feel this this connection to, but really, if we're doing what we're meant to, which is being present and showing up right now to add the value that we're capable of, because we continue to learn and figure out how to add new value, we are becoming somebody different, and there is a better version of us that's that's waiting, but I do think it is a, it is a pull, even though we're trying to propel ourselves fo- forward, there is something that's always pulling us back. It's either ourselves, which is, I think, actually the hardest, it's ourselves pulling us into, you know, the, the old version, or it's people around you that are not leveling up and are more comfortable because they're comfortable with the version of you that exists right now, not the version of yourself that you're trying to get to. And that's the other pull is because then it's the discomfort of, uh, you know, your surroundings. And that, you know, I, I've, in, in to your point, talking about entre- entrepreneurship, people say that of how it can be a lonely experience because as you continue to do do that evolution, all of a sudden you look around and there's not the same number of people around you that is going on that journey. So it makes it kind of difficult. It does. That's super insightful, by the way. I was, I I need to take a note on this, but I I realized in a second I was the podcast guest. So I had to, (laughs) (laughs) I forgot I was. So, so yeah, absolutely. Devil at every level. That's so good. I'm going to reuse that. It's really good. Yeah. I love that. Um, All right. My next question is, what is one thing that you would want to see changed in the world? Ooh, that's a dangerous question to ask, Brendan, because I can go off on this for like 20 minutes. <laughs> All right. So here, here's what I think. Here's, here's what I think is the biggest challenge of society is most of us are too subjective. We're too opinionated. We have to have opinions about everything and every single topic. Whereas I think the smartest people on earth realize that most knowledge in the world, we don't know. Like most things, we just don't have an answer for. We don't understand. We don't comprehend. So basically what I'm saying is that the the smartest folks understand that they don't know 99.99999% of all the information in the world. So with that assumption in mind, Every time we have we enter a conversation with that mindset, you have to always be a student to somebody else's perspective. You pretty much have to be, right? Or else you're pretty much admitting to the fact that you actually know more than you think, which is, I think, a huge fallacy, right? And the reason I say that is because I think if a lot of us were more objective about what problems to solve together, we would get a lot more done. I'll give you a super easy example to demonstrate this. So a lot of the way that we give money to charities in general is very emotional driven. It's very like, oh, because of a story in my life, I want to do this. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's other problems in the world that are super easy to solve, like actually ridiculously. Scott Harrison from Charity Water, who's my hero, is a great example of that. Right? He's solving the water crisis. 10% of the world's population doesn't have access to clean water. But this is not like an impossible situation. The technology already exists. The cost to get each person clean water is very possible and it's highly sustainable. And society doesn't just stop and say, hey, if we're arguing over this gun violence thing, let's just stop for 10 seconds and focus on the water thing. And I think most people aren't too too many people want to pick sides and they don't want to pick the side that really matters, which is what's beneficial for all of us. 
I think that's that's something I would I would hope to change. And uh, I, I don't think I'll have time in the world to change that. So instead, what I'll do is I'll find the people who think like me, and then we'll all focus on fixing the problems that are worth prioritizing. And I'm a good example of that, so I might as well throw it in, is I chose public speaking as a problem to solve very intentionally because I knew I could solve that one problem in my lifetime because I'm 25 or I'm fairly young. I have a lot of time in my hands. So that means if I put all my energy on this thing, I can solve this one thing. And if I don't solve it, it's my fault. Like I literally take responsibility for that. And if every single person just did that with one problem, the world would just be infinitely better. Oh my gosh. Can you even imagine? I'm just going to pretend that. That is going to keep me on a high level today. I'm going to think about everybody picking one thing to actually solve <laughs> to see how far we can get because I think you're truly right, you know. Um, and and I do fully, fully align with you in terms of the principle or the value of being a student because I don't think that we're omnipotent that just one day you wake up and arrive and are like, oh, I'm done. I don't know about you, but I know everything I need to know. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be over here. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, no, <laughs> that's not. Um, so yeah, I, I really appreciate you saying that. I really appreciate you saying that. Okay. My last thought provoking question <laughs> for you is what is one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever been given. Absolutely. So, so it was given to me in different ways, right? So it, it sounds different, like embrace your uniqueness, you know, go after your dreams, all that stuff. But the way I've interpreted it, especially for the people who have made it, what, 56 minutes into this recording. <laughs> so, so let's get, let's, let's give the real stuff. And the real stuff, which is the most important piece of advice I could share, for the time being anyways, is be insane or be the same. If you want to be like everyone else, that's totally fine. But if you want to make a difference in the world, if you want to make an impact, if you want to do something important with your life, the only path forward is the path of insanity. Don't you find it odd that a 22-year-old kid started a YouTube channel, not on vlogs, not on music, not on pranks, but on public speaking and executive communication tips, and then went on to coach C-suite executives, CEOs of companies, for those who are wondering, at the age of 23, but still lives in his mother's basement, doesn't own a car, is literally talking to on a mattress he sleeps on, and absolutely loves Justin Bieber. Not the the new stuff's great. Everyone loves the new stuff. I'm talking about the old stuff. Like the old stuff's really, really good. Legit. Right? <laughs> I appreciate it. But that's the thing. So how uh, isn't that odd? And that is the point. When every decision in your life makes sense to the only person that matters, which is you, you'll probably be very successful in life. So be insane or be the same. If that does not get put on a t-shirt, I don't know if I could go on another day. <laughs> That's good. Maybe. I can't even. Wow. I never thought of putting on a t-shirt. I'm telling you. I would rock that all day. Out the door. I'm, I'm so grateful. Walking through the grocery store. Hey. <laughs> I don't know about you. But, but I'm crazy. I'm, I'm nuts. <laughs> yeah. You definitely want to be friends with me because this is what I got going on. I freaking love that. Be insane or be the same. Seriously. Like being the same is boring. Like stop. Don't do that. Be a unicorn. That's what I try to do on the regular on a regular basis. My gosh. Yeah. Definitely worth getting to that 56 minutes, people. Like, a <laughs> couple of those communication gems and this t-shirt, life-changing podcast. Share it with all the people you know. Just saying. <laughs>
Just saying. Okay. How or what programs do you want people to know about? What are the things that you're working on that you want people to be aware of so they know and then how can they find you, connect with you, ask you a question, stay in touch? How do, how do they do that? Absolutely. The most important thing I want people to do is take action on the advice. You know, there's so many podcasts out there that we listen to. We don't really do anything with the information. The key is implementation, folks. So I want you to take one or even if you disagreed with 70% of what I said or 90%, take the one thing you agree with on and do that thing. And then beyond that, if you, if you want to learn more about me, the YouTube channel is definitely the best place to get started. All you got to do is type master talk in one word. And then if you want to reach out to me, I'm super accessible. You'll find all that stuff uh, on the YouTube channel. Gosh, you're freaking amazing, Brendan. I feel very fortunate to have come in your graces because I feel like every time I get to be in your presence, even in less than an hour, I walk away a better human being because you always teach me something new. I'm so honored. And so next time we see each other, it'll be at one of these events because things are opening up. So we've got Summit of Greatness 2022 upon us. That's a little bit further out. But like you said, there's a couple Tony Robbins events and other things. And so I'm down. It's on. We got to sync up our calendars, figure out what's going on, and uh, make it happen. Absolutely. <clears throat> Thank you so much for being here. Please follow Brendan. You could... Definitely his YouTube channel is the best place to do that. And um, I'll make sure that his info is in the show notes so you could check him out on other platforms. But I so very much appreciate your time today. It means the world to me, Brendan. Thank you. Likewise. Such a pleasure. Awesome. How awesome it was to have Brendan Kumarasamy on the show public speaker extraordinaire and I love the simplicity and directness of his advice to those of us that want to improve our communication skills. It reminds me of that saying that goes practice makes perfect. Maybe it doesn't necessarily make perfect but it definitely makes things better and by the way was I living under a rock and just did not discover that case competitions are a real thing. They are so intensely real. I don't know if anybody has participated in those, but dang, I wonder how much better of a consultant I would have been if I actually participated in that. Anyhow, I love practicing your intro, practicing your closing, doing that over and over again, simple, steps and focus on that one thing that you are expert in to communicate to the world and get really good at it. Amazing for him to point out that 35 years Tony Robbins has given the same essentially speech, perhaps in a different ways on mindset. And when you think about it, that consistency is what makes us know him so well, right? So really awesome. I hope that you were able to at least take one or two things away. I know that what Brendan said of be insane and not the same really stuck with me. It's in total alignment with Born Unbreakable and being uniquely who we're meant to be because we are unique and each of us are meant to give our individual greatness to the world. And I truly believe that we're better people when we embrace that. As much as we come together and are bonded because of our similarities and the affinity groups that think about the time from when you were a kid and the one thing that you want is acceptance. So what do you do? You gravitate to the sports, right? that you're good at, that you can get together with other people who are good at that too, or you join the clubs or groups where you're like-minded and you have that same energy and 
passion about those things. That's how you make your friends. That's how you make lasting relationships. But in all of that, I think the crux of maturity is really when, in addition to recognizing the things that bind us together, is embracing the things that also set us apart. So that is my little closing for today's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it. And I would love to hear from you on what else you want to hear about on the Born Unbreakable podcast. Do you have a guest that you want to see come on the show? Would you like to be a guest on the show? Reach out to me and let me know. You can fill out a guest request form at bornunbreakable.com, directly right there on my website. You can also drop me a message, des at bornunbreakable.com, and tell me what's on your mind. I love to hear from you. I love to get feedback. If you haven't already followed Born Unbreakable, wherever you listen to podcasts or subscribe, please do so so you don't miss a future episode. Rate and review if you haven't already. And don't forget, you are your only limit. So take action today. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to tune in again next week for another inspiring episode.